0: The impact uh, the late Mr. Stern has had on the game of basketball, from the dress code, to revenue, to really globalizing the game, I think it's unprecedented what he was able to do for the game of basketball. I think it's Ja's race to lose. He's clearly been the best player and the most consistent player. I think it's his award to lose, regardless of if Zion comes back or not. At one point or another, the game may change. But I just think that the type of players that are being bred now, they're going to be shooters, they're going to be ball handlers, they're going to be playmakers, they're going to have a little bit of everything, which is going to prevent them from just being one-dimensional post-up players. Welcome to the Jadavion Clowney episode of Pull Up. That's right, episode number 90. We've come so far. Currently on the road, want to wish everyone a happy, happy New Year, and I hope everyone enjoyed Christmas if they celebrate it. A lot has happened since then in the NFL, in the NBA, as well as collegiate sports. And right now we want to focus on uh, the NBA and the passing of David Stern. Um, David Stern passed away at 77. I was fortunate enough to meet him and shake his hand and have my dream come true of being drafted to the NBA in 2013. And I just want to kind of touch on the impact uh, the late Mr. Stern has had on the game of basketball from the dress code to revenue, to really globalizing the game. I think uh, it's it's unprecedented what he was able to do for the game of basketball. And I'm thankful uh, I was able to be a part of it and continue to be a part of you know, some of the changes and things he's done for the game. Jordan, I know you had a, probably more of a relationship with him than I did, you know, early on in your life and some of the stories you can tell, but, but what stories can you remember uh, about David Stern?
1: Well, CJ, you know, I think with David Stern, there's two sides of uh, of looking at his career as a commissioner. The first side of it is there are pundits. You know what? He came in at the right time. It was 1984. We were getting uh, – it, it was Magic and Larry. It was then Michael Jordan. Um, but I, I think, yes, he came in at the right time. But I think what he did from a marketing standpoint was nothing short of genius. I think his ability to – Um, globalize the game, make basketball, not just the NBA, but make basketball a global game is something that cannot be overstated. And if you go back and you look at the dream team in 92, which obviously is the best collection of basketball talent um, in, in, in history. Yes, they dominated that Olympics and it was incredible. But if you go back and watch those games when they were beating teams by 40, CJ, the players they were playing against weren't even in the same vicinity uh, as they are now, uh, from from an international standpoint, you know, David Stern was hell bent, even in the late '80s, early '90s, when it didn't seem possible, on making basketball cool in Asia, Africa, Europe, Australia. He was the one that really spearheaded that movement, and I think now every year we see it with great young players coming into the league. Uh, and it seems like it's it increases every year. And, and obviously now we see guys like Luka Doncic, uh, you know, on your team with 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 Nurk. Uh, we've seen great players like Sojakovic and Nowitzki and Tony Parker. These are all uh, on the heels of David Stern uh, and the impact he had. So I, I recognize the fact that he wasn't perfect. Was he always fair? No. Um, but I think he was extremely intelligent, uh, relentless and, and obviously successful.
0: Yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly, especially on the global aspect of the NBA. you know, looking at where the game has gone, you know, from implementing leagues in other countries to figuring out ways to help develop talent all across the world. Uh, you you see it today with Giannis, as you said before, with Luca, uh, Nurk. There's countless players who've come from abroad and, and had a huge impact on the game, mainly because of the fact that the NBA has become a global sport. And I know you touched on the revenue uh, here in the notes. It basically talks about how you know, revenue went from 10 million per year to approximately 900 million per year under his tenure. And although he did come at the time where the game was evolving and changing, a lot of that had to do with David Stern and his vision of how he wanted basketball to progress going forward.
1: No question, CJ. And and look at the television contracts that he signed. Um, you know, I mean, there's a you can make the argument that Pete Rozelle, the late Pete Rozelle, was the most significant commissioner uh, in, in history of sports. I think David Stern is, not a big reason why. Is because of the television. I mean, his ability to make television for the NBA must see and uh, get these massive deals has ultimately helped the players tremendously. Uh, the league has never been healthier. Um, and I think you know one one story that I that stands out to me is one that um, it doesn't it wasn't directly from David Stern. It was actually from from Magic Johnson and uh, Jackie McMullen told this story on on her podcast with as well. But, uh, magic told us this years ago, and I think it's worth mentioning when, when he was diagnosed CJ with HIV and and he decided he didn't, he was going to retire for the first time, not the second time, the first time, um, he didn't really understand what he had to the point where, and I didn't even know this part, he was going to go on stage and say he had AIDS, which he didn't, he was HIV positive, but that's how little everyone knew about it. But if you fast forward, when he wanted to come back, CJ, and all the owners balked at it because the players were scared. The owners didn't know what, you know, they didn't know what could go wrong. And David Stern was the one that said, if you don't let Irvin back in the game, if you don't let Magic come play again, I'm going to single-handedly basically make life miserable by, by, by HIV testing every single player in the league. And who's to say there aren't more players that have it? And they were so scared of that and so scared of the lawsuits and the negative press that ultimately magic was able to return. And and I think that says a lot about David Stern. He knew it was the right thing to do. He knew that magic, uh, he did a tremendous amount of research. Um, and magic has said that, uh, and Jackie said this on the podcast, he has said that David Stern gave him his life back. And I thought that was really interesting because, um, of how scary obviously HIV was then it still is, but then nobody knew anything about it. And David Stern was the one that really laid down the hammer and that that says a lot about him
0: yeah that's an amazing story I wasn't aware of that shout out to Jackie McMullen for telling that story on the podcast and for you bringing that gym to the pull-up pop. But that just kind of shows you the type of mentality that David had. And you look at the mentorship that he, he was able to accomplish with Adam Silver and like kind of preparing him for this role when he was deputy commissioner and figuring out mm-hmm. how to kind of pass the torch to the next guy. I think he's done a tremendous job. And Adam has stepped in and continued to expand upon some of the legacy that David Stern left behind and continue to figure out ways to, to grow the game, whether that's in Africa, beyond borders and, and and things outside of that. Um, from a understanding of technology, what marketing means to the NBA, what streaming means to the NBA. And now we're going through this phase of, of 3D and, and figuring out how to implement that into the viewership uh, part of our fandom. I think it's going to be great to see how the game continues to evolve. And speaking of the game evolving and talking about players who have come from different countries, Luka Doncic, reigning MVP, Giannis Antetokounmpo, are leading the first round of vote-getters in the 2020 All-Star votes, which was announced on Thursday. Luca had almost 2 million votes, 599 more than Giannis. Incredible. And LeBron James is the only other player with more than 1 million votes in the first round. I think my favorite part of this process of All-Star voting is seeing the names that you don't expect to be on the list. And this year's guy, Taco Fall. He has 110,000 votes. And also, shout out to the legend. You know who the legend is. Alex Caruso. The real legend. Alex Caruso. 92,000 votes. Incredible. Good for 8th place. Those are, those. are That's my favorite part of the all-star voting, seeing some names that you, you don't normally expect to be on the list, on the list. I think it's great that they have a, a large following. I think that shows the, the passion from their fan bases and and how fans are actually having a say in some of the voting process for All Stars.
1: Well, Ta- Taco is a great dude, by the way. We, at some point, um, well, I, you got you got to get to know him. He is fantastic. I, I talked to him a little bit earlier today. Um, he's so humble, and, and and I think even he was surprised by by the votes. Um, I don't know Caruso, but I've always liked his game. I was surprised to see that he got that many votes.
0: Uh, he's, he's, he's the real deal, though, right? Like, he, he can really play. Yeah, I'm a fan of Caruso's game. He plays hard. He's athletic. He can knock down shots. He's smart. Um, I think the fans have fallen in love with him and his ability to kind of shift the crowd. You know, he looks unassuming, but he can dunk on your center. He can knock down threes, and he could probably sell insurance on the side if he wanted to. That, that kind of shows you <laughs> his versatility uh, based on his un- unass- unassuming looks.
1: Yeah, and a former... Uh... Former G Leagueer too, which is a cool story. Um, he's ahead of uh, Devin Booker and John Morant. Um, he's also ahead of you, CJ. I'm, I was disappointed not to see you in the top ten. There is time. Um, have you have you talked to Dame about him yet being in the top three? Because it looks like he's uh, yeah he, he's third, right ahead of um, well he's ahead of Steph, who, who's fourth. Again, voting is this is fan voting, but uh, have you talked to Dame about that at all yet or no?
0: No, I haven't talked to him about it. I, I think he probably seen it earlier today when it was released. But um, based on the way the voting has gone historically, uh, he he always gets a, a decent amount of votes. But yeah. I think fans have to do a better job of of supporting, especially fans in the Pacific Northwest, people that are fans of the Portland Trailblazers in general, uh, going out and voting. You know, if they're a fan of someone, I think it's important that they vote and uh, try to get the players as many votes as possible. And just a reminder, fans account for 50% of the vote to determine 10 starters. Mm. So basically, the fans only account for 50% of who starts. And then there's another breakdown of player vote. Um, is there a coach's vote? I think the coaches vote in the uh, alternates. So there's a little bit of balance.
1: CJ, I was a little disappointed with some of the fan voting, specifically in the East. Bam out Bio, seventh. Uh, and then in terms of the guards, Kyle Lowry, eighth. Adebayo's been as improved as any player in the league this season. We talk about guarding one through five, playmaking, scoring. He he really has a legitimate chance to be a, a really special player for a long time. He should be an all-star. And as should Kyle Lowry. I mean, Toronto's overachieved. Last year, Kyle Lowry was asked not to score. This year, he's he's averaging about 20. plays 40 minutes a night. Uh, what can't this guy do? So I really hope both Adebayo and, and Lowry become all-stars.
0: Yeah, it's crazy to see the star power of a Steph Curry who hasn't played basically all year and Kyrie Irving who played a few games before the season started and nearly has a half a million votes. It just kind of shows you the cult following a lot of these guys have in the NBA and how fans are just admirers of their games.
1: Well, you know what's also interesting to your point is how James Harden's second uh, among guards with almost 800,000 votes but I don't know any other player at that level, that stature CJ, that draws the ire of fans more. And yet here he is getting uh, 800,000 votes it is, is kind of counterintuitive to what we believe and what we've actually talked about, which is that a lot of fans don't actually like James Harden. So I'm not sure I understand the voting process.
0: There. <laughs> a lot of people in Houston and China are for sure uh, voting for James Harden. <laughs> yeah. I know they have, the have a big China vote. I know he has a big following there. Um, the presence of Yao Ming historically playing for the Rockets, I think that plays a factor. But talking about a guy who won MVP and has averaged thirty, almost a thirty-point triple-double on par to average close to forty this season, scored sixty in three quarters. Like this guy is a very good basketball player. There's no doubt about it.
1: Yeah, he can play. He can play. Uh, you mentioned China, by the way. That was, you know, I don't want to keep going back to David Stern, but that was another thing that he did, which was opening, really generating billions of dollars in in revenue from uh, in terms of Chinese basketball and, and really capitalizing on Yao Ming again, just like really understanding how to market to a certain audience, uh, understanding the, the presence of Yao and how big he could be, both figuratively and literally. Um, and that was a whole nother thing that David Stern did as well as CBAs and salary caps. And, um, you know, I'm just, I guess, CJ, my mind's still on David Stern. So, um, if I bring him up a couple times more throughout the pod, you'll have to forgive me. Um, one thing that, uh, I will mention to you, CJ, you, you talked about, um, Doncic and some of these, uh, these great Europe, European players who I'm curious for you out of all the European players that you've played against. What was the biggest surprise for you? Like, which, which guy were you not expecting to be as good as he was? Doesn't have to be a guard, could be a big. Um, but, you know, who, who did you play against the first couple of times and say, well, I, I really didn't expect him to be that good?
0: I think Giannis is the easy answer. Giannis' growth his versatility, his understanding of the game, the way he's matured over the course of his career is crazy. I mean, if you would have told me Giannis would win MVP within his first seven years in the NBA when he was drafted, I would have said that's probably not going to happen just based on like his size, his rawness, um, lack of shooting ability. like He had a lot to kind of figure out. And it's a credit to him, his work ethic, the people he's put around him. He's improved immensely. You know, his physical attributes have improved, his understanding of the game, his IQ, his ball handling, his shooting, his post-up game, his ability to just become an all-around, well-rounded basketball player has really evolved. So I always say he's the he's the obvious answer for me just because I was in his draft class and I just kind of watched him continue to expand and kind of develop. I think a lot of people would probably say something similar to to my game in terms of the success I'm having now. But for him to go from 175 pounds to 240, 245, freight train averaging 30 plus with over 31 double-doubles through what, 33, 34 games, just kind of shows you um, how good he really is.
1: Well, we've talked a lot about all-decade teams. Do you think it's fair to say that you know, Giannis could end up being the best player of this decade. Um, maybe him and Luca, those two guys, in terms of their ages.
0: Well, with the new decade approaching, since we're in yeah, 2020 yeah. now, and 2020 would span to 30. I think he definitely has a chance to be considered one of the best players of this decade, uh, just based on the trajectory of where he's at in his career, how he's on pace to kind of dominate. You know, he's 24, 25 now. Ten years from now, he'll be 35. I see a lot of success in his future and obviously luca's in the very early stages of a dominant career almost averaging a 30-point triple double Uh, he's must-see tv step backs he makes plays for others he plays an entertaining brand of basketball and he's paired with a nice seven-footer in uh kristaps porzingis so i think the future is very bright for both of them probably more so for Luca, in the sense of this is only his second year in the league, so we're not sure what type of leaps he'll take. We've already seen greatness from Giannis consistently the last few years in MVP-type uh, performance, so we kind of know what to expect from him in terms of his elite ability to consistently perform. Um, the ESPN released the Players of the Decade or uh, First Team All-Decade.
1: Uh, I want to go a little bit of a different direction with Best Shooters of the Decade, which was also released. I'm going to give you the names on the list. Uh, that were um, named, and this is not in order, but Steph, KD, LeBron, Clay, Harden, Dirk, Chris Paul, Dame, Redick, and Kyle Korver. Um, Some unbelievable players and shooters on that list. CJ, I was (laughs) shocked when I saw that LeBron James was... Shooter of the decade? That's one of the best shooters of the decade. LeBron is a lot of things. Being one of the top 10 shooters of the decade, that was uh, that was almost blasphemy to me.
0: It was an interesting add to the list. I think his clutch performance gives him some credibility there. He's hit some big shots down the stretch. He has a good percentage in the clutch in terms of um, hitting game-winning shots. You know, with with the score within one or what is it, one or two points or tied, he he has a high percentage. Um, I think it's higher than Kobe's was um, in the playoffs. So you kind of see the clutch gene there and his ability to knock down shots. But in terms of just pure shooting. Kyle Corvert, J.J. Redick, um, those guys are the elite of the elite. Kevin Durant, you know, you're talking about guys who can get 50, 40, 90 consistently, can score at all three levels. Jump shot is one of the prettier things you'll see. Um, I was I was surprised to see his name on the list, but I think if you go from body of work mm-hmm. I get why you would include him because he hits huge shots. He's hit three-pointers. He's hit floaters. He's hit an array of tough shots down the stretch to win games and has proven to be a big shot maker, especially in those Miami days when he shot 40, 42% from three. Uh, I think that at that point in his career, he was really shooting the ball well. But consistently for a decade, uh, Redick, Kyle Korver, those names ring bells.
1: Well, the names that ring bells to me are, are Ray Allen and CJ McCollum. I don't I didn't like the fact that you were left off that. And I did not like the fact that Ray Allen was left off that the actual article on ESPN goes into the specifics of some of the efficiency, but CJ, at least I know you are disappointed not to be on that list. I mean, to me it was disappointing.
0: I don't have a decade of greatness yet because I came in 2013. I didn't play the first two years. So you're talking about like the last five years of me playing. I know. I know. But some of these guys. So I think that was probably taken into consideration. But then you also didn't. They didn't have Clay Thompson on there.
1: No, Clay's on it. Clay's on it.
0: Clay's on yeah, it. Yeah, Clay's
1: on it. And okay, actually, so
0: so they didn't make that mistake. I was gonna say. <laughs> yeah, he's actually ranked fourth
1: on it. Um, they're, they're, it's really hard to narrow it down to ten guys, um, and it really depends on what you're defining. Like three point shooting is something that Chris Paul didn't really do when he was with the Hornets, but then he became a much better three point shooter later on in his career. How do you define some of that? So. I understand, but also Ray, and I understand that Ray retired, you know, a few years ago. But, like, you think about LeBron, well, you instantly think about Ray because of the corner shot he hit against uh, the Spurs in Game 6 of the Finals, which ultimately the Heat won. little-known fact, CJ, did you know that um, in small sample sizes, and more importantly, in one sample size, Ray Allen actually broke my nose? Wait, when, when was this? <laughs> how, how
0: did Ray Allen break your nose? Okay, so here's
1: the story. Um so I used to shoot with Ray uh, and, and there were times, that's where I was going. There were there were a couple of moments where I'm, I'm like, I would out him maybe for uh, 10 threes. I maybe I'd hit nine, he hit eight, 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 which was very rare. But um, most importantly, one-on-one cutthroat. It's uh it's Seafair weekend in Seattle. So let's see, that must have been Seafair weekends. The first weekend of August, it's when the blue angels, it's a big air show and you have the hydroplanes. It's, it's a really fun weekend in Seattle. And it's like, it's probably the the most fun week of the year, actually. And uh, Ray and I were uh, basically playing one on one cutthroat. So there were like two other guys, right? And you know, like you score, you get a bucket. Uh, I go off, and somebody else comes on. First guy to seven, right? You you, you played it a hundred million times, right? So I was nineteen, so I was in the best shape I've been in. I was going on, I think, to my sophomore year, so I was really locked in, and. I had six points in a game to seven, and I think I would already scored on Ray once. Uh, so I was really locked in, like I, I and I was, j- you know, jabbering and talking and really just completely out of control because there were probably forty people watching, and you know I knew it was being videotaped or at least I thought it was in my mind, and I thought this was a huge deal and an opportunity for me, right? <laughs> um, so it's game point. I miss. He gets the ball, and I have never been known CJ as a lockdown defender, but I have never played harder defense than I did that day. Andre Allen. And I am in him in his space, like you cannot imagine. And I'm talking and he sweeps through with his elbow. And he had sharp, sharp elbows. And he sweeps through and shatters my nose. I'm talking complete, like broken in two different spots, blood everywhere, like go to the hospital, emergency room situation. So that's that's the probably the coolest story I've ever had because I'll even though at the time it was pretty shitty, it was pretty cool to look back on. Jeez. So the aftermath to the Ray Allen broken nose is that for the next two months or so, I got a call every two weeks maybe from Ray checking in on me, which was so unbelievably nice. And then to take it a step further, he sent me a a video game system with him on the cover. I don't know if it was NBA Live or whatever game it was, 2K, but it was so welcomed and so nice. And every time I've seen him since CJ, he always, first thing he does is he points to to his nose and he goes and he kind of gives me a little bit of a are you okay so i appreciate ray and uh obviously one of the all-time greats on and off the floor
0: (laughs) that's crazy he broke your nose on the sweep through and you like solicited it you talked trash you got close you broke his personal bubble Next thing you know, he's slicing the nose open with an elbow.
1: You get you, you NBA guards have sharp motherfucking elbows.
0: Absolutely. We absolutely do have sharp elbows. And the crazy part is that we know how to use them <laughs> to create space. We know like how to impact certain aspects and parts of the game to our advantage, whether that's elbowing somebody in the side or slipping a quick one. And in, in Ray's case, literally breaking your face. Yeah, exactly.
1: When you when you covered when you were guarding Ray even at the earlier or sorry, later stages of his career. Uh, did it feel like a, uh, an extra workout guarding him because he ran so much?
0: I mean, he constantly moved, but towards the latter part of his career, um, he was a lot of stationary stuff, a lot of spot up. Not as many sets were called for him, so he didn't move as much. But, like, Prime Ray was on the go. Prime Ray was always moving around, pin downs, flares, isos. Yeah. Mid post-ups. No, it was like a constant theme of, of movement.
1: He was in as good a shape as as any NBA player I have seen up close. He used to bike around Seattle in these ridiculous outfits, and I think he thought he was in the Tour de France. He'd be out all day, and the guy, the
0: guy was a machine. <laughs> the ridiculous was, outfits is hilarious. Yeah,
1: ridiculous outfits, and uh, and he got you know half the team going going into it. Um, by the way, have you ever uh, have you ever cycled, CJ? Are you a cycler?
0: I ride bikes, but I haven't cycled in, in years. I'll do it on the beach or something like that, but I don't have an actual bike that I ride.
1: I saw I saw somebody last night. I was on a hike. You know, I'm in I'm in Colorado. I saw somebody going up a really steep hill on a mountain bike in the snow, and uh, it was uh, it was quite motivating. I must say, I was surprised to see it. People do shit all the time that you just you kind of wonder why. And the guy was probably 70 years old. I thought he was gonna fall off
0: the mountain, but he didn't. That's crazy. He was going up a mountain in the snow on a mountain bike. I have, I'll send you
1: a video. Yeah, I have a video. of. I could not believe it, and I knew nobody else would, so I took a video.
0: <laughs> I'm glad you videoed it because I'm trying to picture this, and I really can't.
1: Yeah, it was uh, wild.
0: So It was wild. I'm looking forward to it. Have you been watching any college football, by the way? Because uh, we got a playoff coming up. We do. Um, LSU looks really good. Ohio State lost. So, you know what that means? Yeah,
1: I, I know you love to load on Clemson. I know I know that's been your, your kind of you've been your team. I want to see what the spread is. Has the spread come out yet? LSU is a five point favorite. Both teams are undefeated. Obviously, both have great quarterbacks. Um, I'm really excited about this game, CJ. I think LSU
0: covers LSU by maybe they cover I think, nine. I think they eight? cover for sure. I'm with you. I think I think they win by two touchdowns. Stay tuned, because after the break, we're going to talk about my Browns, the future of the dog pound, and so much more. Don't go anywhere, because we have to hire a head coach and a GM.
1: NFL wagering is in store. Uh, no opportunity to wager on the Browns. <laughs>
0: Unfortunately.
1: I've been almost holding off asking you this, but uh, how you doing, man?
0: I'm tough. I'm tough. Tough skin tough-minded i've been through the ringers and understand that it takes time to build up years and years and years of disgraceful football disgraceful decision making blown games injuries the wrong draft picks it takes time to overcome all those things and, and to change the culture so Am I surprised that we only won six games this year? Absolutely. Am I also surprised that we lost six games this season in which we were heavily favored? Yes, I am very surprised. But I feel like we're taking steps in the right direction. We're taking the time to do the due due diligence to hire the right people, starting with the head coach and then hiring our GM. So I believe that we will turn this thing around, OBJ will become a pro bowler again in the Cleveland Browns jersey. Juice will have another great season. Baker will sharpen up, make better reads, faster reads, quicker reads. Our linemen will block better. We'll be able to draft linemen this year because we're gonna have a high pick. So there's a lot of things we're gonna improve upon, but it was hard to watch. It was hard to watch this year. I did not watch the last game of the season against the Bengals for obvious reasons, and I'm glad I didn't. But next year's a new year and I will be in attendance. I jokingly said that uh, they have to tighten up before I become a Seahawks fan. I'm going to be going to get a beast mode jersey. I will still be on my Browns bandwagon, but I will start attending Seahawks games as of next season.
1: That is just, trend. I mean, what a turnaround here. I guess you can have an AFC and an NFC team. But, uh, I mean, that's that's music to my ears. And
0: I'm still a Browns fan. I'm still a Browns yes. fan. Yeah. Diehard, But I will go to Seahawks games because it's so close. And I've been co into it by management.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I understand. I mean, listen, there. It's a it's an organization that knows how to win. Uh, a quarterback that obviously knows how to win. You 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 certainly d- deserve that. Uh, by the way, Marshawn, I've been trying to get him on. His he he he's definitely going to come on the pod. And uh, it, what a story that's been. Um, before, uh, well, I, I don't want to just skip over the Browns and the fact that they're going for their sixth. Uh, Six head coach in seven years, CJ. Uh, is that right? Believe, <laughs> that is right. I believe that's right. Um, but uh, the Seahawks do play uh, at Philadelphia this weekend. Um, and uh, I, I'd love to get your take, not necessarily on the result, but what do you think about my, my estimation that Marshawn goes, for uh, close to 100 yards in a score. I mean, is that, is, is that too much for me to think?
0: I think the 100 yards is too much, but I think a touchdown is definitely in his plans. They're going to open up the playbook a little bit more now that he's gotten the week under his belt and, and playing the game for the first time in over a year. But I just think that they rely heavily and Russell Wilson, they're going to air it out 45 to 50 times. They're going to pass a lot. They're going to run in the red zone. Marshawn's going to be targeted more out the backfield and screen opportunities in, in passing downfield. But I, I look for him to get in that, that 9 to 15 carry oh, range, yeah. which would be hard to get 100 yards unless, unless you break a long one.
1: Okay. I'm going to go 17 carries, 88 yards and a score. Um, big game. For the ooh game. aggressive, yeah, I, like,
0: I think the score is inevitable. I'm just not sure how much they'll utilize him out of the backfield because they pass so much. But if he gets carries, I think the production will be there.
1: Well, he's he, when I when I, I talked to him before the first game, and he felt he said he felt good. Uh, he said that he needed to lose some weight, which he did. He, he did a ton of cardio, and um, I I I think the argument can be made that not having another week off and having him play this week could ultimately be beneficial for him um, because he gets, you know, just more in tune with the offense in uh, Philadelphia, even though they're hosting, we, we know is very vulnerable. So I'm, I'm excited about that. We talked about this briefly. Uh, you saw the fact that Jarvis Landry has been playing with a,
0: basically a broken vertebra, right? Yeah, I've seen that. That's crazy. How long has he been playing with that?
1: It's been a while. I, I'm, I think at least a year. Um, the reason I asked, I'm just, can you imagine playing a full NBA season, let alone 16 games with a broken vertebra?
0: I think this—the the toughness football players have and ability to pay through, play through pain—is unlike anything we've seen. Most athletes are extremely tough. They want to win for their teams. Incentives also play a factor, and just not wanting to let down the man next to you. Uh, it just kind of shows you how invested these people are. And, fans are so critical of professional athletes and how sometimes they accuse us of not caring or not putting forth the proper amounts of energy or resources towards preparing to play every night. These types of stories show you how much the game truly means to us and what lengths and measures guys will go just to get themselves ready to play.
1: He's played six years. He's never missed a game. Uh, Jarvis Landry is not the biggest guy. He is as tough as it gets. Uh, Been one of my favorite players for a long time. I, I know you're that's your guy. Um, I certainly hope they, they turn it around. Did, did you, before we do move on from the Browns, did you like the rumor? I don't know if you saw it, that Urban Meyer could be, uh, potentially become the next head coach.
0: I did like the rumor, but I don't, I don't think they're going to hire a guy who's never coached in the NFL as the sixth coach in seven years. So I think they're going to go with someone who has a little bit of experience previously at the highest level.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I think that's the right move. Uh, I believe that they need somebody, CJ, that has great experience and knows how to handle a young team, uh, especially a team with a young quarterback. Mike McCarthy's been another name attached. Obviously, he coached Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers, won a Super Bowl. Um, I, I think the Browns need an established coach, and I think it says a lot that Matt Rule, who, who took over the Baylor job uh, just a couple of years ago, wasn't interested in, in interviewing. Um, and Browns fans, as you know, are very prideful, uh, and rightfully so. But, you know, this is not a quick fix. They have a ton of talent. Um, I think it's a fix that, I think they could be a playoff team, but it's not a quick fix in terms of changing a culture and organization that has, you know, been losing for uh, basically three decades. Um, So I'm with you. I do think it is interesting, CJ, last point on the Browns, that Baker Mayfield now will enter his third year, and he'll do it without the general manager and without the head coach that, were basically uh, Team Baker the whole way. You know, John Dorsey's the one that drafted him. I wonder what kind of pressure that puts on him
0: with a new staff, especially a personnel staff, to, uh, to perform. They're definitely going to have pressure um, regardless of where they come from and what their background is in coaching. They're going to have pressure because of the talent around them, because of Baker, because of the fact that Baker didn't perform particularly well last season. So the offensive coordinator will have pressure. The play calling will be under scrutiny because historically we haven't fared well in those areas. Our offensive line let us down. Defensively, we were banged up, had a lot of injuries. Not sure when Miles Garrett will be coming back, but there's a lot of uncertainty with this team. And I think the fact that we're not sure who the coach is going to be or the GM creates just a little bit more uneasiness to the fan base because we're not just sure what to expect like do we resign hunt are we going to go pistol are we going to go west coast offense what are we going to do this upcoming season and how are we going to approach it that will determine a lot of things because we were heavy super bowl odds favorites you know before the season started and mm-hmm. we underachieve grossly across the board besides juice and uh, our running back. I would say I'd say Chubb, Chubb was the Chub had the
1: best here at anybody because he's gonna be on, he's gonna be an all pro.
0: Yeah, Chubb was great. Juice was consistent. Besides that, we were really up and down yeah. as a unit. Yeah. Penalties, play calling, performance, everything.
1: What does it do when you're that young, Mike Baker, and you know the people that brought you into the building are no longer there though? Does that impact the way you go about your day to day? I mean, how does that change things?
0: No, you just have to go be your the, your best self, the best version of you. You can't control the firings. You can't control who they bring in. All you can control is preparation. I think Baker has a chance here to do some soul searching, look in the mirror and figure out how he can get better for this team uh, in terms of his leadership, in terms of holding everybody accountable. If players are supposed to stay off the practice and run routes, They need to stay off the practice and run routes. You know, if he needs to go out there and do the Dak hip thrust to get himself ready, then he should go do the Dak hip thrust. If he needs to envision the game like Drew Brees does post-practice with no one out there and kind of mimic and walk through his reads, his checkdowns, and his cadence, he should do that. I think he needs to do whatever it takes to get himself ready to play elite football and next season come back and shut everybody up.
1: My mom's been telling me this as has my dad for Ever since I can remember, CJ. Be yourself because everyone else is pagan. That's that's (laughs) very factual. Don't go anywhere because when we come back, we'll talk about Zion, John Morant, and the NBA Rookie of the Year race. Last NBA note from EC is a little Rookie of the Year talk. We know Zion is is getting closer. Um, I think John Morant... Kendrick Nunn and Tyler Hero are the three guys right now that are in the best position. Um, but what do you make of the Rookie
0: of the Year race? I think it's Jaws' race to lose. He's clearly been the best, the best player and the most consistent player, uh, having to play the point guard position and lead a franchise. He makes highlight plays. He gets assists. He knocks down threes. He dunks on centers. Um, He plays with great pace, and uh, I think it's his award to lose regardless of if Zion comes back or not. His 40 or 35-game body of work um, will be enough um, to put him over the hump, especially if he can put together 25 to 30 more games similar to how he's played. Zion will come back with a splash, and he'll play well, but he'll have missed half the season. No, I'm I'm with you. I think think
1: Ja's been excellent. There's no surprise. Um, Just absolutely love his game. I, I love the Miami rookies; those two. I also like Chris Silva a lot. There's some Udonis Haslem to him. I don't know if Miami is a legit East contender, but they they play really hard. I don't think two the, the the Heat and the Raptors are probably the two best stories of the East. You know, just in terms of overachieving uh, based on uh, expectations. Um, I did I lied, CJ. One more NBA note for me is. Uh, you know, Darren Collison, we, we, he, he basically shocked everybody when he retired. I was talking to his agent over the summer, Bill Duffy, and you know, Darren's very religious. He's a family man. He felt like he was ready to give up the game. Well, now all of a sudden, it looks like he might be coming back. Um, what what do you make of that story? Because uh, Darren Collison has been one of the more consummate NBA pros, and to retire – that young, uh, when you still can make that much more money, was was really surprising.
0: I was very surprised he decided to retire. He had multiple deals on the table. He's still very productive and can be very productive in the NBA on, on many teams. And he turned down, frankly, a lot of money. He turned down a lot of money. And I think, you know, him being able to spend more time with his family and reflect and kind of figure out what he wanted to do, he's probably started to miss the game. And, um is showing that he's potentially having a change of heart. And I think the only difference now is that him being able to come back now, he's missed half the season, so he's been able to spend time with family. And now he gets the best of both worlds and is able to essentially pick mm-hmm. his preferred destination, which is what he would have, would have had to do this summer as well, but with more uncertainty. Now he kind of knows what he's getting himself into because they've already played 40-plus games and have showed um, the type of team and identity they're going to put forth.
1: Lakers and Clippers, which which one makes the most sense? I would say the Lakers. I know Rondo's there, but just from a roster standpoint, um, you know, I know, and obviously Caruso's there. We talked about him, but I I do think that would make maybe a little more sense. What do you think?
0: Yeah, it's interesting. He picked two L.A. teams. He must be back in L.A. and <laughs> enjoying the weather. But I, I think the Lakers makes the most sense. They're the team that doesn't have as much depth at that guard position. The Clippers have tons of guards, tons of wings. It's already hard enough for them to find minutes for players. Um, Patrick Beverly plays a lot of minutes. Lou Williams plays a lot of minutes. And you got PG, Kawhi. Mm-hmm. You don't really need that third guard. But the Lakers, although Caruso has been suitable, Rondo has been suitable and can play in the playoffs, you can play Rondo and Collinson together and still wreak havoc and, and put them in a position to succeed. Or you can pair Collison with LeBron or the likes of AD and give one of the other stars a break.
1: Uh, speaking of AD CJ, we've he's kind of been as have you know Giannis and, and many other these wonderful young players defined the era of positionalist basketball. Um, the Ringer did a really interesting piece on how the game could change in the next ten years, and uh, you know we obviously have seen changes that have benefited offenses. Uh, whether it's been no hand checking, um, you know the fact that we see the floor space as much as it is. I wonder for you, C.J., my takeaway from that article was less so the changes that could happen, but more so, is it possible that we could ever get back to uh, more of a three-out, two-in classic game where uh, teams go inside-out as opposed to now, where, for instance, you watch the Bucks on a given night and they have five guys out, including two seven-footers. Do you ever see that happening?
0: I think anything's possible, honestly. Anything can happen in this game. Um, and it goes in waves. It's a copycat lead that goes in waves. There's times where it was important to have seven-footers and big men out there, and then other times it's more important to be small and have guys that can shoot and are mobile. So it's just constantly evolving, and I think at one point or another the game may change. It may go back to how... It used to be where it's more physical, but I just think that the type of players that are being bred now, with the exposure they have and the resources, they're just more skilled. They're going to be shooters, they're going to be ball handlers, they're going to be playmakers, they're going to have a little bit of everything, which is going to prevent them from just being one-dimensional post-up players.
1: I don't think the game ever really goes back to that style, just because if you go around any gym in America right now, and you ask 13-year-olds, 16-year-olds to play to warm up, they all want to Play like guards. The big kids want to shoot like you and Steph and Dame. Uh, the small kids want to play pick and roll. Everybody wants to be on the perimeter. And so for the game to go back to more of that classic clunkier three out two in style to me would be regressing. And uh, I just don't see it happening not only in America and the NBA, but more, more so on a global scale as well.
0: I think winning is fun ultimately so figuring out ways to win is is priority and what makes the game the most fun for me sometimes it's playing inside out sometimes it's playing outside in sometimes it's having a skilled big who can shoot threes it's just more about figuring out ways to to win games I think that's the the funnest thing for me and the, the challenge is the balance of that like when to throw it in the post versus when to go to work versus when to and I'll trust your bigs with shooting jumpers, shooting perimeter shots. There's just a a constant change and flux of it as the season progresses to where you have to be versatile. The teams that are most willing to adapt and versatile are the teams that usually have success. Well, I would uh, have to ask you, CJ, if you want to cue the wine music. Cue the wine music, please. We've had a tremendous amount of free time to enjoy ourselves over the holidays, whether that means spending time with family, spending time with loved ones, friends, coworkers, spending time by yourself, getting to know yourself before the new year, or drinking alcohol, preferably wine, preferably red. I've been able to do all those things, family, friends, loved ones, teammates, by myself, reflecting. And I found that there are many great wines out there in which I adore, I adore greatly but one particular wine, Jordan, one particular wine really struck me. It struck me because it was a combination of all things. It was smooth, it paired well with my meal, but it was classic, vintage, and the price point, I'll admit, I wouldn't recommend this for the casual wine drinker, this is <laughs> okay. this this wine here is for people who really love wine, don't mind spending a ton of money on the bottle. I'm just gonna get right to. I'm just gonna get right to the chase, Jordan. I had a special Bordeaux. I had a very special Bordeaux. I posted it on my Instagram story on New Year's. Um, it's the Chateau Mouton Rothschild, or however you say it, vintage. Vintage 1982. It's the Bordeaux of Bordeaux. There's the 82 and the 85. This is this is one of the Bordeaux of Bordeaux, and it's very, very tasty. And one of those wines that you know, 30, 40 years later, it's it's still amazing. Well, I'm blown away. Um, I didn't. I'm. I, I don't know how I missed this on your Instagram
1: story. I, I'm actually stunned when I did. But it sounds like it was um, maybe one of the best bottles you've ever had.
0: It definitely is from a price point and from a legendary standpoint, one of the best bottles I've ever had. Absolutely. So much that Coach, Coach Stotz brought it up to me. He was like, I played in France from 80 to 85. That is a very special bottle. Wow, what did you have it at home? I had it at 4 Charles Prime Rib in New York. Yeah, see, that's why I'm really upset. The one part about being on this trip, as, as happy as I am, Jam,
1: missed you. Your one game in New York is uh, is sad. Although, no. CJ, what are
0: you doing? Getting eaten steak these days? You, you know, you know it's not good. I had a mixture of things. I had seafood. I had salad. I had veggies. The oysters were phenomenal. They have one. Of the, they have one of the best burgers in the world at that place. Honestly, if you get back off the wagon, uh, I would definitely tell you to try the burger because it was sensational. And I'm a burger lover. Mm, I don't think so. However, (laughs) can I tell you about the bottle I had? I sent it to you, didn't I? You did. You did, but you have to tell the listeners because they haven't seen the greatness.
1: You know, I love Burgundies, as you know. Love Pinot's. Um, But the one that really stood out to me was a... Well, actually, I'm going to go to the one that surprised me the most, which was a 1997 Barbaresco Bruno Gaioso. And uh, we'll have to update on the list On the new 2020 wine list Because there's a lot of Italian there That I don't understand But oh my goodness, CJ Unbelievable Unbelievable And uh, probably not quite as good as your Bordeaux But certainly appreciated
0: what I had to offer I'm glad you enjoyed it We'll have to add that one to our summer drinking list And knock that one out of the park as well But I, I appreciate you sharing, man I hope you enjoy your time in Aspen Oh, I appreciate that I shall head to the massage table. The massage table is calling my name. We appreciate our listeners out there tuning in faithfully. We wish you a happy new year with blessings, peace, tranquility, and all those things you strive for along with great vibes. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Radio.com, backslash Pull Up with CJ, or wherever you get your shows. And don't forget to... Pull Up! Pull Up! up.